0: That was one of the songs we would sing, and uh, isn't interesting certain scriptures when you read them or songs that you hear have it brings back all kinds of memories. And yesterday, um, like I told you, Susan was sick. We had planned on going to Bastrop. Samuel was uh, in a playoff game playing football, Um, and uh, Susan ended up coming home Friday sick from school, and so she's still not feeling well. I had one of my boys was up at Baylor for for the game last night. Uh, and two other boys were with, with my parents, and they didn't want to go stand in the rain. And so uh, on my birthday, I got to drive about five, six hours, and uh, I had a lot of time to think and reflect and uh, think over the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. And, and uh, a couple of scriptures really came to mind and to heart, and, and it kind of tied in with what we talked about last week, and uh, thinking about the scripture here that we're going to be discussing today. And uh, one of them that I, I want to share with you is Matthew 10, verses 5 through 8, and John has mentioned to you, we, we've been in the series. Uh, uh, John Wethington, for those of you who don't know, um, is our, our lead pastor. And uh, he, with uh, six others, are right now in uh, uh, East Asia. And they're flying, actually, they're in the air, probably getting somewhere over in the United States. They get in uh, around 2 o'clock. Um, but uh, they've been over there. and, and uh, But he's mentioned, we, we've been in the series in Ephesians. We'll finish it up next week, I believe. And then beginning the first part of the year, we'll go into a Christmas series, and in the first part of the year, we're going to jump into uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, if you haven't read that, it, it's just some amazing scripture uh, that uh, Jesus, as he's teaching his followers, uh, it, literally, he begins to talk about what, how do we live life in such a way that uh, we follow him. And so he, he lays it out for us in, in really just a beautiful way. And... Uh, a number of years ago, I, I, the translation called The Message came out, and I don't know if how many of you have read The Message. It was written by a pastor, uh, Peterson, Eugene Peterson. Uh, he did it over a number, a bunch of years. I don't know the whole story, but it was over a bunch of years. He began to translate the scripture, uh, and he was doing a whole series through the Bible. And, and so he wrote the scripture, and he'd share the scripture that he was translating. Uh, obviously, a Greek scholar, Hebrew scholar, just a brilliant man. And his translation, I love it. It's not the only thing I use. I'm kind of into the ESV right now. I think John's preaching out of that as well. Uh, but today I'm not going to use the ESV. I'm going to use two of my translations I've used in my past that have been meaningful. But uh, the message is really communicated in our language in our day. And, and there's a passage there that uh, uh, was real significant to me um, a number of years ago. And and so we're going to look at that, Matthew 10, verses 5 through 8. Uh, But today we're going to be discussing a little bit about what we talked about last week. The last part of chapter 5 of Ephesians and the first part of chapter 6 deals with relationships. And last week we talked specifically about the marriage relationship, the husband and the wife, and how it was a reflection of what God is, a picture of what God ultimately was doing when Jesus came to earth. And ultimately died for our sins where he brought together we as the bride and he as the groom. And that there is this incredible relationship that has happened. That because if we follow Jesus and we believe and trust in him and he becomes our king. um, That we literally become one with him. And he said in the same way our marriage relationship is this picture. Of that, And so as husbands, we learn to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We are a reflection of the love of God, the love of Jesus for us. And as, as wives learn to hus- follow, lead, follow their husbands and, and love them in such a way, it again, it is this picture to the world of what happens when we know Jesus and we follow him. And in reality, our lives are to be that, right? We are to be a reflection of God's voice so that when people encounter us, they encounter literally the love of God in our lives. And, and it is in human relationships that God does something significant. And so today we're going to be continuing that in Ephesians, this, this high, whole idea of what it means for us to be reflectors of God's glory. Now, God's glory, if you try to define that, I, I like to think of it as when you think of all of God's attributes, all of his perfections, that is his glory. The very character, the heart of God, we reflect his glory when we reflect him. And so our lives are to be a reflection of his glory. And so I want to talk about what that means. And before we get to Ephesians, there's a couple pieces, that idea of what we're to reflect, that uh, for me, I think are significant. And so there there are a couple different passages. One is Matthew 10 I want us to look at. And then the other is Philippians chapter 2. But in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 8, in the message, and I have it up here on the screen, hopefully, there it is. Uh, Read this with me. It says, Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. And so this is what Jesus, he's called his 12 followers. And then he sends them out into the harvest field. He sees that the harvest is ripe. And so he sends them with this charge. And I like the way the message communicates it. He says, Don't begin by traveling to some far-off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. And then catch this. He says, you have been treated generously, so live generously. I love that translation. There's something that happens within us when we experience the generosity of God. When you, in your brokenness and your need, experience the love of God and you experience His forgiveness or you experience His power or you experience His grace in your life, your life is never the same again. What happens with us sometimes over time is that we forget the generosity of God, right? And then God will put us in a place, and he just reminds us. Yeah, I came to Christ when I was nine years old. And I, I can look back over my life. I mean, when I was a kid, life was good and easy. I had the life, right? I mean, I went to college. My parents paid for my college, and my life was pretty easy. I met Susan there, the love of my life. Life was good. It was great. Um, and then as, as I moved into adulthood, I mean, there have been all kinds of challenges, right? There are things in my life, even with my parents, as great as my parents were, I mean, even as a young man, there were things that I, I recognized in my relationship with my parents that I didn't get from them that I needed deep within my core. And then through life, as we've walked and journeyed together, I, I mean, there, there's been ups, there's been downs, and and God through it all, I mean, he has put me in places where if he didn't show up, man, there was no hope, right? And those are some of the best places to be because we experience once again the generosity of God, his presence, his power. So the reality is today, if you're in the one of those places, it is a great opportunity. For, it is like this platform where God can show up in your life and can reveal himself and become a reflection of his glory through your life, through your need and through your brokenness. And it's often in those places that we begin to recognize the generosity of God. And I love the way Jesus put it here in the translation. It says, because we've been treated generously, so live generously. See, part of how we become reflections of God's glory, and I I think it's crucial as we think about Thanksgiving, you know, part of hopefully, part of this whole journey is that you reflect back over the year, over the present, over your life, and, and you reflect on God's generosity, and it makes you grateful. And the gratefulness overflows to generosity. But one of the ways we become with that as reflectors of God's glory is that we must live generously. We must be present in this world and allow the generosity of God to overflow us in our hearts. When we live generously, it reflects God's generosity. And like I mentioned, uh, we have seven that are over in East Asia and, and James has been uh, communicating to me with a little bit, we have James, Yando, John, and, and Halsey Wellington, Matt and Emily McKenzie, and uh, Justin and Janet Fleming. And uh, we prayed for them a couple, like the Wednesday before they flew out, and one of the things that hit me uh, as people prayed, and, and we prayed over them, and, and just joined, and just asking God to come and, and to use this time and their trip, both to transform them and, and be a transformative influence in, in that country and among those people, um, one of the things that struck me, it was so beautiful, I, I've been on a lot of different trips and sometimes you go on trips and you're by yourself or you're with people you don't know and it, God still shows up. But the fact that all of them, I, I see the quality and the character of their life. There is a, a generosity of their lives because they have experienced the generosity of God. And you get around any of them and you experience that in their lives and, and then also to realize they know each other so well. And there is an admiration, a love that they have for each other. I, I mean, it just for me, I got real excited just to begin to dream of what God could do through them and in them during this season. And it's been, they've, they've had some amazing reports. And a couple days ago, I got just a, a Skype uh, message from, from James. And he, and he said, simply, we, we shared with two blind masseurs, massage experts, people, and, and, and the front desk lady. And all three agreed. Then we dunked them. Great job, Father. And so as they're working with the nationals there, they, they had the opportunity to share with these two blind uh, massage therapists and this front desk lady, I guess, at the, at, the, at the massage place. And they heard the message. And they agreed. They lived a generous life. They went and they shared. And God moved. The authenticity of our faith, it's not about so much how how much we know, right? How much we know doesn't really change very many people. When I I grew up, you know, uh, part of uh, being Southern Baptist, there there are strengths and weaknesses uh, about the body of Christ in general. And... uh, One of the great gifts I had in in the the late 99, I've told you all, I left my first church that I had pastored for about eight years in the city and and was called to serve the city in a different way and to serve the church. And and, uh, seven of us who were lead pastors left our churches to start Mission Houston. And that first year, all we did was meet with pastors in different parts of the city, bring them together, and we started seeking the Lord together. And, And it was a gift to begin to know the whole body of Christ. And so I was in the near north side, which was primarily african-american and generational poverty just north of downtown on the uh east side of of 45 if you've been to that area i mean generational poverty and and so being in the suburbs in clear lake and having kind of just spent my life down there trying to grow my church uh i i began to see a different part of the city and a different part of the body of christ and i had the montrose heights area and, and then i had my area where i was just gathering pastors together across denominational lines and For me, it began to just create this beauty, seeing the beauty of the body and that we were really not that different. And growing up in in my tradition, I mean, uh, and I think it's not so much that way anymore, but we were very much about the truth of the gospel, right? But then it was kind of had the, the conservative gospel presentation here. Then you had the liberal denominations that worried about the poor. And it wasn't that we didn't do anything for the poor, but And at least in my churches, in my mindset, we had the liberal denominations that were doing the social gospel, and then we had the true gospel, the truth of the gospel. And the truth is, there is a beauty, it is both. It is the truth of the gospel that is translated into loving the least of these. And that is what this picture of this generous life is. Jesus challenged them to go to the confused people right in their neighborhood. Tell them the kingdom is here, the kingdom of God, God's reign, his love, his grace, his power, the hope of the gospel, it is here, he is present. And then very practically he said, bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. They said, man, get yourself dirty, go to work, and I'm going to show up with you. That's a generous life. See, when we live generously, it begins to reflect the true generosity of God The fact that his love is open, his grace, his forgiveness is available to all. There's a second thing I want us to look at. It's in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And I'm going to speed up because I I know there's food waiting. Uh, This is a passage in high school. I I remember I memorized, and I I probably don't have it completely memorized, but I I memorized it. I didn't realize the NIV uh, up until a couple years ago they had translated it well, they kind of twisted it, and made it more modern. So this kind of dates me. But 84, the NIV 84, I think it rocks. Now, the new NIV I don't like as much. But anyway, we're, so we're going to look at the NIV 84. Uh, anyway, it uh, says this. Is this. I, I love it. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. And again, Ephesians uh, was written by Paul. It's a prison epistle uh, to the Ephesian Christians. The Philippians is written to the Christians in the Philippi. So Paul writing he says okay if we have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love if any fellowship with the spirit if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love being one in spirit and purpose. Paul said hey if you are a true believer is basically what he's saying. If we if we are united in Christ if we I mean if we have experienced the power of the spirit in our lives then we need to be together. We need to have the same love. We need to be one in spirit. We need to be one in purpose. And and then he goes on specifically what he means, what he says this ought to look like. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider Equality with God, something to be grasped. This idea of holding on to, not being willing to let it go. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, here's the second thing I think we need to understand about reflecting, being reflectors of God's glory. And that's specifically what Paul says here. He says, if you are a true follower, we need to be intent on this one thing. We need to be alike in this. And this is what he says. He says, treat others as better or more important than you, than yourself. Treat others as better than you, as more important than you. It says, when that happened, it reflects the value of every person to God. Again, it's this idea that we are reflections of God's glory. And so when we encounter people, and we are generous in our love for them, we are kind, we are compassionate, it communicates that we value them, right? That they are worthy. And when we do that, we reflect God's true glory. We reflect how he feels about them. Um, one of the organizations I work with, is a, it's an urban squash program. It's a game of squash, not the vegetable squash. And uh, we work with at-risk youth in the city. And there are about 20 of them across the country, and they've been very effective at taking urban kids And give them opportunities to go to some of the top universities in the country. And so we are interviewing over at this uh, uh, middle school. And it's so fascinating. One of the questions we uh, had us ask was this idea of, you know, if you were to have a teacher or a friend describe you, how would they describe you? And it's cute. You know, almost all of them are hilariously funny. Uh, Good students, motivated, smart. I love this one young man. I mean, he was, he could play squat. I mean, he he was an athlete. He was wiry. Uh, But he began to describe himself. He says, man, I have a temper. He says, if anybody crosses me, they treat me with disrespect, uh, I'm going to be all over them. But I tell them, man, I'm going to treat you with respect. You treat me with respect. Uh, It's kind of what we talked about last week. You know, that's human nature, isn't it? We like the fact that Jesus laid himself down, that he gave up his rights, but we'll spend our lifetime demanding our rights. Yet Paul challenges the believers there to treat others as more important, as better than yourself. It's interesting, I I had conversations with uh, two friends this week, and uh, it was around this whole idea of of impacting people's lives and, and the power of communication, where when you listen to somebody and you really listen to them, where you're not thinking in the back of your mind the next thing you're going to tell them how they, they can change or what they can do. And how often do we spend our life, man, we try to enforce our will, and we're going to talk about being a parent in a minute, but how often do we try to force and, and, and with all of our might make our kids become what you want them to become, and we try to change people. And how often that's not effective, but when, when you really love people and you listen, when you listen and you hear, and you, you, you communicate, you value them. The opportunity to have influence is so much greater. In Philippians 2 3, again, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Not to look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. This is, this is so countercultural. But if we will learn to do this, it will not only transform us, but it can transform our world, right? When we do that, we communicate God's value, that that God values people because we value them. They're worthy of our love. In Philippians 2, 5, he says, your attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus. And he goes on and describes Jesus, the fact that he didn't hold on to his deity. He was willing to become man and ultimately to die on the cross for our sins. He gave himself away because he valued us and our lives so much we are called to reflect God's glory in that same way. To die to ourselves, to live for people, to love people sacrificially. And then, we come to Ephesians. And for me, it's helpful to begin to think, okay, to reflect God's glory in our relationships, that it takes us living this kind of generous life. It takes us this place in our lives, whether it's a relationship with a, child with your parents or with uh, parents with your children or as workers with those that are employees or as an employer towards your employees if we can walk with Jesus in such a way that we experience his generosity and we are overwhelmingly generous in our love for people and our desire to give ourselves away for them I think it allows us to step into these things that Ephesians calls us to Real quickly, look with me in Ephesians 6, 1-9. through 9. We'll read the whole thing, and then I, then I have two more points, and, and we'll close. But Ephesians 6, 1-9, through 9, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So basically, children, if you don't obey your parents, you're going to die young. What? Well, Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, but fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And then in verse 5, it shifts kind of gears and talks beyond those relationships. And, and again, it talks about slaves and masters. In that day, that was very pertinent. But for us, I think it applies directly to this idea of employees and employer. All of us are under some kind of authority. All of us have authorities in our lives. And so the question is, how are we going to respond when we are in authority and when we are under authority? And how in those relationships can we reflect God's glory? Slaves, obey, in verse 5, your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from, the heart, from your heart, Serve wholeheartedly as if you serving the Lord, not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is a slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. NIV 1984. All right. Two more points. Number three. I say live well under authority. It reflects God's authority over our lives. How we live under authority reflects the reality of God's authority in our lives. Because God speaks real clearly. I mean, one is it's just a fact of are we obedient to God or not. If we're obedient to God, we will live under authority well. But I think also when we live under authority in a way that it, it, it honors God. It reflects that we, we belong to Him, that, that we are following Him. Because sometimes living under authority, it, it's like we talked about last week, husbands and wives. I mean, the truth is, if we are to love each other like God says we're to love each other, it cannot be dependent on our worthiness of that love or on our performance because we're just not there. As a parent, I am good sometimes and I blow it sometimes, right? As a child, I'm the same way. As someone is in authority over people that work for me, I, I I'm, I'm sometimes I, I do well, sometimes sometimes I don't. And in the same way in, in those that I work for, i right. I mean, the truth is, it, it cannot be dependent on the other person's actions or worthiness. So we need to learn to live under authority. And real specifically, it says, "Children, obey your parents in the Lord." If you are a follower of Jesus, it is with the promise. God said, man, you are, it is the way we have a good life. Honor your father and mother. Now for me, that honoring, I mean, that, that is throughout our lives, right? We are to honor our father and mother. I think as you move into adulthood, uh, that, that idea of obeying everything they say, well, you're not necessarily under their authority in that way anymore, but there's still that honor, right? We, we honor the position. We honor them sometimes even when they're unhonorable part of honoring sometimes just praying for them and loving them and, and caring for them. And, and I know some of you might be in the most horrible relationships. It's not even possible to have a relationship in that way, but you can pray for them, right? And so there's ways that we figure out how to, how to do that. But when you are under your, you're young, you're under your parents' authority, God just says you're to obey. And so I say that to my kids sometimes because it's not, and they're not gonna obey all the time. <laughs> they, they just aren't, but I mean, sometimes you just have to obey. And so part of what we're teaching our kids by, by helping them to live under our authority is that they are ultimately under God's authority, that we are under God's authority. And I hope my, my kids get that, that we follow Jesus. And we've done some crazy things. As a family, we, it hasn't always been easy, but we've tried to follow Jesus. That's why I send my kids to, to the third ward, sometimes without me, to serve. Because we follow Jesus, and it's not always totally safe right we follow jesus so children obey your parents and and your life's going to go well right it's going to go better at home you obey your parents it's a happier place and the and god's promises in life if we learn to obey our parents we learn to obey god in the lord now now sometimes our parents aren't followers of jesus and i think it goes the same way i mean there's there's places you got to be real careful with this But if your parents are telling you something that is so contrary to the scripture, um, you know, you can get some, I don't know, we got to figure that out, right? But in the Lord, we're to follow, we're to obey. And then it says parents in the same way, I I like the translation uh, that the NIV has here where it talks about don't exasperate your children. And I know uh, Susan and I at times exasperate our kids. So we're, we're not perfect in this either. And as parents, you will exasperate, but, but our goal is not to exasperate them, right? It's to love them and encourage them and, 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 and do all that we can. And so being sensitive to that and figuring out how do, we, how do we parent in a way that we're not totally all the time exasperating our kids, but loving them and leading them well and strongly to know and love Jesus and to follow him. And then he goes on and talks about slaves, so I'd say employees or slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them. Um, just lost my place. Obey, obey them not only to win their favor when they, their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is a slave or free. So again, it's this idea, when we live under authority, do our work for the Lord, right? And so I love this picture. Don't just work hard when their eye is on you. Work hard when their eye is not on you, as if you're doing your work for the Lord. Because again, we're reflecting that we are doing our work for God, even as we're working for others. So whether it's schoolwork, if you're a student, or you're working your job Wherever you are under authority, do your work for God. Do your best. Give your all. Honor God in the midst of our work. When we live well under authority, it is a reflection of God and the fact that we live under his authority in our lives. And then number four, leaders lead from a heart that is whole toward God. It reflects God's heart toward you and them. So when we lead those that are under our authority that work for us or when we lead our, our kids when we lead we lead from a heart that is whole toward God. Ephesians 6.4 says fathers do not exasperate your children. We talked about that. Ephesians 6.9 says and masters treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. So we recognize man we Ultimately, even when God gives us authority over others, ultimately, the ones we have authority over and ourselves, we are under God's authority. And so we are to reflect God's heart toward the people that we lead. You notice he says there, treat your slaves in the same way. What's that same way? Well, if you look back in Ephesians 6, uh, 6 it says, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God, again, from your heart. So again, we, we lead with our heart, with love, with generosity, with a willingness to give ourselves away, with thinking those people are more valuable, more important than me. Even when I'm in authority over them, I value, I care about them. You know, I, I've, I've served in some large churches across over the days, and part of the challenge of large churches, as you get bigger and bigger, is it becomes almost like more business than, than, than family. But that can happen in small churches. It can happen anywhere. And, I think one, one of the, and it happens certainly in business. But if you are a of Christ, although sometimes we have to make tough decisions, we should always lead with relationship, I believe, with, with compassion and with love. And so even when you lay somebody off, you still love them and you care about them. You care about their future and you, 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 you walk with them as much as you can. We lead with the heart. Again, in verse 8, it says, Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he's a slave or a free. So, what are we saying? It is in relationships, I think, that God can reflect his glory, who he is, to the world, like in no other way. It is when it is our flesh on flesh and how we do and how we respond. And what I am convinced the scripture teaches us is this this idea Jesus is our model. We reflect Him. And Jesus literally gave His life away. There is a generosity to God that only is shown when we live generously. There is a way that God values every person that is only seen when we begin to value them. And we look to their needs more than we look to our needs. That God is ultimately in authority over us. And so if we do not live well under the authority of others, we never reflect the idea that he is, in, he is king, he is worthy to follow. And when we are able to lead, and we are able to lead with our heart, we reflect the heart of God literally to those that we are leading. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me as we close in prayer. And, um, and then we'll just have a short time of, of uh, in closing with the song. And, and uh, if anybody would like to come for prayer, I'll be down here. I'd uh, love to pray with you this morning before we, we, we head out uh, uh, to eat together. Um, but I want us to Pray. And as we've talked about these different things, I don't, I don't know what, what impacted your heart. Uh, uh, where it was God said, man, I, I want you to know me here. I want you to reflect my glory in this way. But, but part of worship is that we respond to what God says. And so I trust when God's word is shared, even in a, in a humanly inadequate way, that, that God still speaks. And so whatever God spoke into your heart through his scriptures today, I, I encourage you to respond and say, God, yes, I want that. Maybe for you it's just receiving what God spoke of his generosity toward you, how he values you, how he loves you. So let's pray together. Um, Father, I, um, I thank you for the privilege of being able to share uh, with my friends uh, here at White Oak today. And uh, Lord, I thank you for the, the power of your word that is true. We believe it. We've seen it. We've experienced it. Um, Lord, I acknowledge in my own heart and life that I'm inadequate to do this on my own. I can't love like this. I'm not generous enough. Lord, I fail too often, um, even though I don't want to. But I want to do, I want to live more, more generous, Lord. So I pray today that we would experience your generosity and just your grace and your forgiveness and your love in a very intimate way. And then I pray that we would respond, allow it just to overflow in our hearts toward others. God, teach us to to listen, to hear, to value people, to speak truth and blessing into the lives of others. Help us to learn what it means to give ourselves away. Lord, help us know what it means both to live under your authority and the authority of others. And then when you give us opportunity to lead, that we lead courageously and generously. That we love and care more about people than we do about maybe even their performance or what they do. And that when people encounter us, that they would encounter you. Lord, I thank you for the generosity and the love of this church that I have experienced. I pray that you would allow us to be that to our community in increasing ways in these months and these years that are ahead. So Lord, we thank you for this day. God, in just a few minutes, we're going to get to share a wonderful meal together. And, um, and so I pray that as we do that, um, with gratitude, that you would bless it and bless our time together. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.